Hello and welcome to Let Me Introduce You, the food business podcast where I introduce you to the most amazing producers, entrepreneurs and consultants who work with me to help me build stronger, healthier, better versions of food businesses. I've been building teams to work with food businesses for over 25 years now. We're taking you behind the scenes in my business to meet some of them. This week's podcast has a slightly different flavour. I want to introduce you to Dr. Simon Poole, a GP whose passion for the Mediterranean diet has helped the health of many of his patients and more beyond since he became interested in how the real Mediterranean diet impacted the health positively of people and how he realised that he didn't have time during a, a normal consultation with a patient to explain more about the diet to them. And so he began to book space in the village hall and to run evening talks around the Mediterranean diet and uh, showing people simple things that they could cook. And then um, wrote his first book about the Mediterranean diet and now is about to launch a second book to explain in more detail some of the things that people sometimes don't understand and to explain what they need to know about how they shop, what he says is where what their food ate before they ate the food. So a very interesting discussion with him about that and about the impact that has and how during the pandemic, people have become perhaps more aware of the importance of eating well and have also hopefully had some time to be able to cook and how we need to now capitalise on that. I, I just want to start because obviously you are Dr Simon Poole, you are a medical doctor, but you have become known now for your expertise, knowledge, the fact that you advocate the Mediterranean diet. So can you tell me when that, it's not a crossover between being a GP and and doing, but when you began to talk more to people about how what they ate affected their health? Yes, well, I suppose it was uh, 15 or 20 years ago, perhaps, when I first I picked up a, a scientific journal which talked about the extraordinary benefits of the Mediterranean diet. And as you know, medical practice is all based on prescribing medications when people are sick. But it was really becoming very clear that diet and lifestyle was really highly influential uh, in preventing so many of the chronic diseases that we see today. So I became interested. I started uh, undertaking some research and talking to my patients. And my patients would come back feeling better with better numbers, you know, better blood pressures, better cholesterols, and just feeling so much better on the diet, which they so much more enjoyed than other weight-reducing diets that are out there. So Weight loss diets and things, restrictive diets, yeah. Exactly. The sort of diets, I think we, we view diet standing for dare I eat that I think it's, uh, <laughs> that's it, it's a very good acronym I've not heard that one um, that's good. but, but yeah. you know but the Mediterranean diet it, it is just a wonderful diet to experience and to be on and so tasty and so then people 
my patients really wanted me to talk more about the diet and give them more details, which was obviously impossible in a 10 minute consultation. And so I cut my teeth on talking to women's institutes and rotary clubs uh, about, about the Mediterranean diet in my lo local community. And then, and then just got invited to, to teach. And, and as I say, to do some research and, and, and to publish, and then really to connect with people outside, uh, outside medicine, outside patients and, uh, and medical uh, institutions, and really started talking to the food industry as well. And, and you and I met, I think, Jane, didn't we, at the yes. uh, Food and Drinks Innovation Network, which I was um, privileged to be able to, to be indulged in chairing uh, many, many years ago about the Mediterranean diet as, as, a, as a future sort of gold standard diet, which it really now has become. So, yes. so, so that's really why I, how I've got involved and, uh, and the sort of work I do now. That, that's, that's incredible, really. It's great. And, and I think so often, I mean, a lot of people never spoke about the relationship between what they ate and how they felt. And I know I've met people who think they have very hyperactive children in the past. And then when you look at what those kids eat, you realise that some of that is fueled by by what they're eating or what they're not getting in their diet. And And so it's such a fundamental thing and something that isn't taught in schools either and so I think it's really good you know that that you have made that connection for people and helped them to understand how they could do more themselves and I I think in the last year there has been again a big jump in people's attention about what they could do to protect themselves what would give them the best immunity and more of a link between food and health do you are you seeing that again are you seeing more interest in it yes i mean very much so i, I think it's quite challenging to talk to my patients or to talk to to the people in general and sort of try to explain that if if they adopt a, a particular lifestyle or, or food pattern of eating that it will prevent them from from having a heart attack or a stroke or, or cancer in some years to come because there's never a day when when people think to themselves ah this is the day where I might have had my heart attack had yeah. I not been living a healthy lifestyle but what the pandemic has really I think taught us I mean this this awful pandemic has uh, has really I think taught us that people who are most susceptible to having very severe, the very severest forms of the illness are people who have existing problems with blood pressure or diabetes uh, or perhaps obesity. And so really it's, it's a very clear and present danger um, yes. um, now. And I think much more so than some, uh, than, than the sort of rather uh, difficult to describe and rather, uh, rather theoretical or scientific link between preventing, uh, preventing chronic diseases. So it's actually an easier message, I think, to, to get out there. But, uh, but I think we, because we're, they can see a more instantaneous reaction to it. Yes, I, I think that's right. And, and also we know that with the Mediterranean diet, you know, you can, we can reverse pre-diabetes within a matter of weeks. We can really improve people's prospects of, uh, of, 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 of their blood pressure, uh, again, in a very short space of time. So again, that is something that, that is achievable. Um, and that message really needs to, to, to get out there that people can improve. But I find also when, when people adopt the Mediterranean diet in particular, they feel so much better in themselves and they enjoy it. And it's a real pleasure to be able to 
be advocating not only a diet which is so rooted in evidence, but also a diet that actually is so enjoyable and con in convivial. And, and, and allows you to carry on your normal life too. I mean, I think some of the, the bad things about some of the very restrictive diets that people put themselves on, even, you know, where they cut out certain food groups and things, is just how much that means they can't go and eat at somebody else's or, you know what I mean? Often, you know, when people first are diagnosed with a food allergy or something and they have to watch what they're eating, you know, it becomes very difficult. And then that makes it psychologically hard for you, as we found during the pandemic, that we miss not being able to socialise and get together with other people and do things with other people. And I think that's one of the things, you know, some of those other weight loss type diets that people do and those sorts of things are very difficult for people to carry on their life you know you can manage it you can do it for a month or maybe two months but then it's so restrictive that you give up on it but this is a it's, it's, it's almost not a diet it is a way of life isn't it it's the whole you know, it allows you to carry on living a full life, eating out, socialising, going to other people, you know, without it requiring complex ingredients or things you can't get hold of easily or. Yeah, I, th I think that's I think that's exactly right, Jane. I think that I mean, of course, there are people who have very real food allergies or yes. intolerances. And of course, those are are, are something that needs you know that need medical advice and, and, and specific um specific sort of tailored tailored therapies sometimes yes. but but you're right to a large extent a lot of the way that people are encouraged to eat these days in terms of dieting is is about what they should not eat yeah and the great thing about the mediterranean diet actually is it's celebrating what you can eat yeah and i think we you know we, we exist in such a confusing environment where we're still very much engaged in what i call the sort of macronutrient wars the sort of food fights that we have yeah. over carbs and and proteins and, and, and something, fats. something's always an enemy and something else is always flavor of the year or month or exactly and and, and actually that's far too simplistic it's far too yeah. reductionist because actually of course it depends on the quality of people's carbohydrates so yeah. um if you're consuming high glycemic carbohydrates um things that that what when, what that means of course as you know is that is it causes sugar rushes increased uh, sugar sugar levels because the sugars are very easily uh, absorbed as opposed to the eating the whole grains which you get in the, in the mediterranean diet and the fiber which of course is is carbohydrate in itself so yep. so eating healthy whole grain carbohydrates uh, is something that actually is really positive so but yet we hear about you know the low carb diets we even hear the low carb mediterranean diet which doesn't really make very much sense no. because actually the mediterranean diet is all about the quality of the carbohydrates and indeed the quality of the fats so the majority of them being with extra virgin olive oil rather than rather than the uh, saturated fats that we see in uh, in more Western diets, and even the even the saturated fats that are consumed in in the Mediterranean are are tend to be fermented products, for example, of of sheep or goats, which contain rather better saturated fat, fats than than saturated fats in meat or or in cow uh, dairy or in dairy. milk. So yep. it's a much more subtle and nuanced conversation, I think, that we need to have rather than these sort of simplistic and reductionist ways we view things, particularly when we talk about about macronutrients we don't even 
start the conversation about the the micronutrients or the or, or the antioxidants or the anti-inflammatory component components in diet, uh, and we miss out so much. I think with the the current state of of the of the debate or the arguments about what people's food pattern should be, and, and the Mediterranean diet is a kind of off the shelf, extraordinarily healthy evidence based diet, which seems to reduce. Uh, it, it, Oxidative stress reduces oxidation, uh, reduces inflammation uh, across so many uh, um, so many features of, of our of, of our lives that it can reduce so many chronic diseases. Yeah. When you look at it like that, you just think, why does everybody not to do it? <laughs> but yeah. uh, but I think a lot of it is education, isn't it? And I mean, and also now, you know, the, the mix of cuisines that we get, the, you know, the the differences in things, but Again, all of these things taken out of context and, you know, you see how people who historically came from India, from farming families where they were very active and things and were always in good health. And then when they've moved here and they're maybe not as active for for different reasons because their lifestyle and their jobs change greatly, you know, that it has a, a detrimental effect on them if they continue to eat as they did before. So there is such a link between diet, movement, you know, the whole range. And I also worry often when people say, oh, yeah, I don't eat carbs or I don't eat certain things because, you know, our body's not daft and it knows that it needs a good mix of things to, to get the balance and that different things are available seasonally and they complement the lack of vitamin D from sunshine some months. And and again, that's also why eating locally to some extent, you know, eating stuff that is grown near you very often gives you fresher vegetables because they haven't travelled as far and all those sorts of things. And there's so much to it, isn't there? Yes, and there are so many threads in what you've just said, in fact, because yeah. we can talk about other heritage diets. yes hybrid diets, sort of fusion diets between some of the elements of the Mediterranean diet and some um, some other sort of heritage and traditional diets, which can also, of course, be 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 incredibly healthy. And then you touched on local produce and 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 sustainability. And yep. the Mediterranean diet is is the diet really for the current climate crisis because it is all based around seasonal, in general, local, fresh, in general, organic. Because because traditionally. The, the sort of industrial way of producing food wasn't 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 affordable, and um, no. and so people would 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 not be able to afford uh, to have. Um, and they'd have kept uh, one or two animals, or you know that sort of thing would have been too quite common. So exactly. they wouldn't have been growing at a fast rate, or you know industrially produced really. So yes, yeah. exactly, and we're even seeing extra virgin olive oil being produced now in so many more countries across the world in a very natural kind of habitat because the 40 degree parallel north and south of the equator is is, is enjoy mediterranean climate so yeah. so we can see the mediterranean mediterranean style of diet with extra virgin olive oil being possible in uh, australia in in chile in 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 south africa on in the southern hemisphere and uh, and of course in in places like california in the states and uh, 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 in, in in the northern hemisphere as well as uh, as well as of course in the mediterranean and and you can plant olive trees where now Wheat and, and other grains and other traditional crops can't actually grow because of the uh, because of the effects of climate change because the olive tree is so hardy and 
and and and you can plant in virtual desert environments and it will be able to survive and 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 thrive so so yes i think the mediterranean diet is on the march i would like to hope so anyway in terms of the science and also in terms of the fact that actually it is being introduced to more parts of more parts of the world but okay. combined as you say with with other heritage diets so, and we can do that yeah. ourselves in the in the northern hemisphere you know we can have instead of having a, a mediterranean fish we can have we can have salmon we can have an atlantic fish yep. you know it's hopefully so, a sustainable so yeah, it's, it's one sensible following of it where you tailor it to what is available yes. sustainable you know and, and not not exhaustively farmed and traveled right across the world before you get it and as you say with with climate changes and things there is there are new options for people everywhere too so yeah i think that's right and i mean you know berries and berries and oats in the northern hemisphere as well you know great example of 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 having berries with some goats or sheep yogurt and and some some nuts uh, you know you and you can get different nuts in different parts of the world again seasonally but yes. but you know they're all likely to have the the beneficial effects as long as they they follow the principles of of the mediterranean mediterranean diet which i think i think part of the problem with people actually really kind of i mean you, you know you made the point well why 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 doesn't everybody follow the mediterranean diet and i think part of that narrative is because actually i think many people don't quite really understand how how to apply it no. because i think it's often as so many things are rather oversimplified i was so going to say simplified yeah people pe- People normally say, oh, that's red wine, lots of pasta. <laughs> you know, they, 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 they're homing on something, but not always the right things. Yes, I think that's right. And so it's about explaining some of the fascinating science, which helps people to understand the way the, way the Mediterranean diet works. And that's, that's often, for example, to do with food combinations. So, so, for example, if you're eating something which is carbohydrate-based and you want to reduce its glycemic uh, rise, so in other words, reduce the amount of sugars, sugars rise and potentially contribute in the long term to diabetes and obesity, you want to flatten that curve of the sugar rise. What you do with something like pasta or bread is you put some extra virgin olive oil on it, and that fat will then suppress the the rise of the sugar. So the glycemic load of the meal uh, will actually be reduced if you add uh, if you add uh, olive oil. And of course, intuitively, this is this is always done in the Mediterranean. So you wouldn't. You wouldn't uh, dream of uh, being in Italy and and not having your pasta without a without a drizzle of olive oil or your flatbread in the Middle East dipped olive oil on it. No, so it, it's about being intentional, isn't it, and watching how they do things properly and and making sure you don't miss those things too. Yes, exactly, and uh, and you know one of the one of the uh, concerns we have in. Western, you know, the Northwestern uh, Europe and, and, and in the States, for example, in terms of our highly processed diets, of course. But I mean, what, one of the concerns is around the consumption of red meat, which is which uh, we probably do consume too much red meat of poor quality uh, and, you know, it's not very sustainable. But also yeah. there are some concerns about the consumption of red meat and, and bowel cancer. And and, and the, the theory behind that is about when you cook meat, uh, it produces compounds called heterocyclic amines, and and those are implicated in causing bowel cancer. But yes. actually, if you marinate meat in a in an antioxidant rich marinade, uh, for example, with 
extra virgin olive oil with all its antioxidants, with, with red wine, with herbs, with garlic, perhaps. If you marinate it or cook it within the juices uh, of, 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 with some oil, then it reduces the amount of heterocyclic amines by as much as 80%. That, that's incredible, isn't it? And these sorts of things are so important that people, I mean, that wide that are more widely understood by people who are preparing food by people who are advising people on their diets or all of those things so that the the messages get moved forward to everybody in simple you know simple to understand ways but where you make sure that the parts that they need to hear are the parts they're hearing and that they're not oversimplifying to make it easy and then messing out some of the sort of fundamentals of how it all works. Yes, I think that's right. And I think, you know, we're guilty of of, of oversimplifying things, messages as doctors frequently. I mean, indeed, our um, former chief medical officer suggested that there was no safe level of alcohol. Well, uh, that was based on a on a vast study, which had all sorts of different ways of consuming alcohol, whether it was uh, hard, you know, whether it was hard drinking of spirits, whether it was the binge drinking culture of of, of drinking nothing and then consuming vast amounts on one evening yeah. with your, you know, with your pork scratchings down down the pub. Mixed in with that, you know, was a pop, would have been populations who drunk alcohol responsibly and and healthily and probably uh, along with a meal or yeah which is exactly and they wouldn't have, they wouldn't yeah. have been seen within the noise of that study so the conclusion yeah. is well uh, you know alcohol isn't safe but in fact actually there's plenty of evidence which shows that a glass of wine with a meal particularly red wine uh, actually gives quite substantial polyphenol anti-inflammatory and antioxidant compounds interestingly enough actually enhanced if it's if it's taken with uh, an olive oil rich meal. So you get more antioxidants and anti-inflammatories than the sum of the individual awesome. uh, uh, individual contents. It's easier for your body to absorb it. Exactly. And so, exactly. And so the story, again, about alcohol and red wine in moderation as part of the Mediterranean diet with a meal is much more complicated than than having to avoid alcohol, for yes. example, as has been recommended by, by some governments. So, yes, it's about the way in which it's understood and the way in which you apply and enjoy the, enjoy the diet. And, and I mean, I, I think I think we do that with a lot a lot of food and drink. I mean, for a long time, people thought, you know, tea with caffeine in it wasn't good for you, that you know, or that, you know what I mean? All the antioxidants and things there are in tea, how that affects the the effects of fats and things, fatty foods going into your body and things. There is so much, there is, there's so much to learn about how you eat things. And I think people also, another example is that everybody said, oh yeah, probiotics are really good for you. And then quite a while later, but only if you also have the prebiotics, if your body has the fibre in it to do what you want the probiotics to do so it's um yes exactly you know, it, it is dangerous isn't it when people just latch on to something and it may not be the, the the best part of it that they're latching on to yes i think that's right and and and, and the, the 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 marvelous coincidence is that actually the Mediterranean diet is an off-the-shelf diet yes. for people who understand it, which actually ticks all of these boxes. So that actually, 
all the discoveries about the gut microbiome, all the discoveries about um, inflammatory, you know, measures of inflammation in our in our bodies. We can all look at the Mediterranean diet, and in 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 all these cases, we can say this actually works. You know, the, this this actual diet that really reduces the risk of of chronic diseases across the board, pretty much. I mean, cancers, heart disease, stroke, even uh, even reducing the risk of, of Alzheimer's and, and dementia, okay. and and it can be it can be understood in the context of these really healthy carbohydrates, the the wonderful proteins, for example often plant-based proteins like beans, which contain uh, lots of, uh, of phytonutrients as well, lots of B vitamins and lots of uh, uh, minerals. And are often not as expensive as other forms of protein. You know, not, not as expensive from a sustainability point of view, but also not as costly to purchase. And they formed a big part of peasant food cultures before and eating and you know things were bulked out with those and then as we all became wealthier then those things were left out of meals and more meat and things was put in and the balance was perhaps altered too much the other way so it's really interesting to look at what you can add back in isn't it i think that's exactly right and you know our bodies have evolved over over millennia to um uh to uh to to adapt to our, our healthy original original diets which were yes. which were mainly just despite what um paleo diet supporters might say yeah. was predominantly plant-based yes. um and the meats of course were 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 very different meat than than those we, we consume today you yes know, a, a, an antelope or a deer in in that environment is very different uh type of meat yeah uh, very than lean. the meat we tend yeah. to consume yeah and 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 also you, you know, whenever you whenever you eat meat, you should always ask what your what your you should always ask what your food ate. Yes. Um, and and really, it's important to ask. You know, there are stories, for example, of the Iberico ham, uh, the the, the yes. Iberian I, Iberian pig that is um, that's consumed in in Spain. And you know, these animals are, 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 are wild, and they they graze on on acorns and and herbs and and all sorts of different flora and, and, and fauna and, and their, their meat that's reflected in their meat so that something like 60 percent of the of the meat of a of, of an iberian ham of an iberian pig uh, is actually um oleic acid which is a monounsaturated fat which you also find in in olive oil so yes. so it, it, it's predominantly monounsaturated fats which we know has actually a positive effect on, on cholesterol and is much more healthy than 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 saturated fats which tend to uh, tend to occur more in the the sort of grain-fed, domesticated um, animals that we eat today. So, so there are lots of these narratives which stretch across the Mediterranean diet. Whether it's whether it's around the kind of uh, kind of beans, kind of protein consumption, the kind of meats that are that are consumed, and and the way in which they're the way in which they're prepared, and, and the way in which 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 food is is produced or, or or is reared. Really, yeah. And and the and the the amount of time that that takes as well you know and then the environment in which it's reared and everything it's it's so much there is so much to it doesn't there? we've become in some ways you know now at least we have that knowledge and we can look at that but um i think we always thought that we'd become more clever at producing things faster and you know in a a much more sort of industrial scale and things, but now you understand that 
the slow process of doing some of those things gave very different qualities to them that you perhaps don't see in in mass produced quickly produced product so yes and, and, and which actually leads us on to talk about about cost because yes. we're talking effectively about cost of production yeah. um and and some people criticize the mediterranean diet because because of it's perceived to be expensive and there are lots of reasons why why that perception exists and indeed it, it it's it's made considerably worse by the fact that the major supermarkets often make uh, most of their discounts on rather unhealthy and processed foods yeah. but you know if you talk about organic well reared much more healthy meat to yes. consume occasionally yes. then actually it's about the quantity so if i buy a, a palm sized uh, portion of of meat which is slightly more expensive rather than a a plate-sized steak yes. um, and I combine it with reasonably inexpensive vegetables then I'm having a I'm having what uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson who was a foodie president of mm -hmm. the states you know described as, as meat being a condiment to a mainly plant-based meal yeah and there has been some research come out of which uh, there's been research in, in in a number of places in the world but there was one a particularly good piece of uh, piece of research which had, which came out of Rhode Island where where which demonstrated that if you if you teach people to cook and if you teach people about the value of different foods through educational programs that actually it's cheaper of course. to consume a plant-based Mediterranean diet uh, in the end if you're cooking from scratch uh, rather than to actually have a a western style diet so so really it's about it, 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 it's about education and it's about priority and it's about people uh, adapting uh, their ways of eating to achieve a healthily, you know, healthy, more enjoyable life. And it's a gradual process too, isn't it? I think if you swoosh in and try and change everything overnight, people find it difficult. But if you can do one thing and then the next thing and, and move things gradually, if you can, then, you know, I think that's probably a more palatable way. But it also begins with education in schools. And 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 teaching people to cook because there are three generations now of people that have never been shown by anybody. So unless somebody in your family knows how to do it, you probably don't really understand how to do it. And and I think, you know, that, that it saddens me when I hear that when people move into social housing, they're not necessarily always given a cooker and that very often they can't afford to purchase one and then have it fitted so they only have a microwave so when you start to show people how to make a pot of soup you discover that they don't have a hob so they can only do it if they could do it in a microwave and you know I think there is a lot that we could do to enable things more for to help people know what's good for them and to show them ways to do things and I don't think there are many parents that wouldn't want to do it if they knew how to, if they were shown how to do things quickly. You know, people say to me, oh, it's a time thing. And I think how quick it is to cook a piece of fish, often faster than a ready meal. And I think it's a shame. And I, when I also think back as a child, I can think of a main meal on a Sunday, probably having some meat in it. And then the next day's meal having more veg and whatever was left of that piece of meat. And then the next day's meal probably being one that didn't 
have meat in it and and you know we never thought of things like macaroni and cheese as not being a meat-based thing but you know when you look at the meals that you had or certainly I had when I was younger the the proportions of meat in them were less because meat was more expensive then too yes that's it. I mean, that's exactly right and I think I think we have to remember that that the Mediterranean diet is not, you know, it's not based about exotic around exotic ingredients like uh, pomegranates. No, and, um, um, it, it's it's actually based around what the Italians called cucina povera, which is yeah. you know poor people's poor people's food. You, you know, that's not to, to to say it should be for poor, poor people because no. actually it's a fantastically enjoyable and wonderful way to to eat, but it does involve, as you say enjoying cooking it does involve celebrating cooking valuing food planning planning for it preparing for it you know all skills i mean i know that when everybody found last year that that initially all restaurants were shut and initially there wasn't really takeaway and you know in the very first lockdown and a lot of people had no idea how to how to only go to the supermarket once a week because they'd got used to going three times a day to pick up whatever they needed for their next meal. And, you know, you really saw then how badly placed a lot of people were to be able to pull together a week's menu, work out what they might eat and, and do it, which I think, you know, was one of the things that people found very, very stressful. But I think hopefully coming out of this, certainly, you know, the the interest that people got in baking bread and doing things because they were at home more preparing meals at home, cooking, cooking from scratch and things. I really hope that we can magnify some of that. And I know to that end that amazingly, with everything that you had going on the last year and how busy I know you must have been and I know that you were heading up things outside of your own practice as well and and you know helping to mobilize services locally to deal with various aspects of the pandemic and now vaccinations and things it amazes me that you managed to finish off a book at some point recently and that new book is the real mediterranean diet book can you explain what that title is and and what the book is about yeah thank you so the real mediterranean diet is is really trying to help people to understand uh, what what the real diet is so actually uh to, to expand a little bit around some of these shortcuts that are made so yeah. an article might say oh the mediterranean diet is um is is vegetables fruits olive oil nuts and some fish um but really won't uh, won't talk about some of the more more interesting features about the mediterranean diet and it's also about helping people to guiding people to to mediterraneanize their diets to 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 to, to spend a week or two just really a changing their diets gradually um and, and i give some incredibly simple simple recipes as well as some some wonderful recipes that have been um uh submitted by some by by chefs by internationally round, renowned chefs but 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 the, the sort of guidance bit is around uh is around just ingredients and and just how to work with some basic ingredients uh to increase the health of the diet so for example we've been talking a little bit about vegetables well um, vegetables, the colors, the colorful skins of vegetables often contain, uh, very rich quantities of, of these antioxidants we call polyphenols, uh, which have an antioxidant, but also an anti-inflammatory 
effect in our body and protect us from disease. So, so getting colors from these various different, uh, different vegetables and fruits into, into meals, uh, is a really positive place to start to also start to just explore with some herbs and spices, which again are not expensive. Um, but herbs and spices. And when we hear a lot about, uh, about individual spices like, like um, turmeric or, or chili. Um, and it's about exploring how to use those a little bit instead of just salt. Uh, yeah, to, I was going to say to, to reduce your dependency. Yeah, to reduce your dependency. Uh, but also th- these particular herbs and spices mm. often contain very powerful plant-based compounds, uh, which again have antioxidant uh, uh, and anti-inflammatory effects, which the sum of which uh, really creates creates that 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 Mediterranean diet, and also to explore tastes because the link between taste and health is really fascinating. So an example of of that of the relationship between taste and health is, for example, extra virgin olive oil. So we now know that the oils which are most peppery and pungent. Uh, spicy, uh, is a way they're described as well and slightly bitter, which is a positive, uh, taste attribute. When, when, when people get to understand and actually enjoy the slight bitterness of, of, of an extra virgin olive oil, we know that it's very rich in these polyphenol antioxidant compounds, which are probably key, uh, to many of the benefits, uh, not only of extra virgin olive oil, but also of the Mediterranean diet as a whole. And, uh, you know the bitterest coffees we hear again about coffee uh, providing some uh, some antioxidant contribution to the diet uh, and those 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 bitter phenolics uh, in in the coffee also contribute and that, and that's the same reason why if you taste a, a very dark cocoa based chocolate perhaps 70 80% chocolate they are the ones that are richest in in antioxidants so and we have turned away from that bitter taste haven't we it's something that people yes. regard as a bad thing, you know, because, I mean, again, in the Mediterranean, people eat a lot of the radicchios and those kind of leaves that have a bitter taste. And people will very often say, oh, that's too bitter for me or, you know, it's not a flavour that we crave or seems to be a flavour that we crave as much as we would sweet things or... You know, some well, it is interesting. It is interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, mm. I, I sometimes uh, do talks around extra virgin olive oil as part of the Mediterranean diet, and we talk about this this bitterness and this spiciness, and yeah. and um, and sometimes people, because they are very used to very bland uh, extra virgin olive oils, we taste them, and sometimes people find them very bitter and and, and very spicy, and 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 I joke with people and say, well, where what are you going to eat tonight? And they say, well, I'm going to get a Take away from the Spice Palace uh, <laughs> curry house, and I'm going to have a pint of bitter. I said, "Well, yeah. there you go. You like you like clearly like spicy and and bitter. So yeah. So just just get your head around the fact that um, that this is not a bland, tasteless, uh, extra virgin olive oil. And I think that's something too, isn't it? That we do with things, you know, teas and things like that too. Natural product will vary from year to year according to the season that they've had, the the amount of water, everything else, and then. We get used to buying a blend of tea, blended to knock a lot of those nuances out of it. And so then we don't like it when we get something that isn't a blend because we find it too polarising or too too different. And I think, you know, that's that one oil that you can use for everything gets you back to an oil that has had all that pepperiness and the spiciness and 
you know, removed from it or farmed out of it in order to give you a a homogenous oil that you could use for anything, but but often at the expense of what was good in it. I think that's absolutely right. And uh, and so we've got to sort of re-educate ourselves a little bit around the interests in these different um, different sensory and taste experiences, which, as you say, can be can be really fun and very much adds to to our experience and enjoyment uh, around eating. And uh, and also, you know, for, it, as you say, it's related to health um, because a lot of these compounds have been stripped out. So, for example, most of the tomatoes we get in uh, uh, in the UK now are grown under glass in in northern Europe and heavily irrigated. Now, um, plants produce these slightly bitter, uh, flavoursome polyphenol antioxidants to protect themselves uh, from the oxidation, uh, from the the stress of of, of oxygen in a challenging environment. So if you grow something and you over-irrigate it and you don't expose it to UV light because you you cut out uh, much of it through, through glass, then, for example, the, the lycopenes, which we, we know are, are, are really healthful carotenoid um, uh, nutrients in plants, will re- be reduced by about 30% in a tomato, which is grown under glass in northern Europe in comparison with a, with a, with a tomato that's grown in, in southern Italy, perhaps you know, stressed, uh, not irrigated. You know, partly because historically farmers couldn't afford to irrigate yes, things. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and, and in bright sunshine, and it will yep. respond dramatically by making sure that it's it's rich in these lycopenes which as i say have been have been shown to potentially have a role in reducing the risk of prostate cancer um and and so those stories um which which uh, i tell in the real mediterranean diet in 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 my new book really can connect us to the way in which food is it, it, it comes to us the way that it comes from field to fork, yeah. essentially, um, because that story, that narrative of how we how we get food in front of us mm. actually depends. The health of our of our meals uh, depends on on that on what's been happening. Yeah, of course, of course, where it came from, how it was produced, and I think that's one of the other nice things that came out of last year was people finding their gardens, and because yes. they were going to be at home more knowing that they could grow fruit and vegetables and and be there to harvest things and you know people finding pleasure again in good tomatoes that were homegrown and that sort of thing and and also that even if you've only got a window box you can grow herbs yes um and certainly you know buy seedlings and keep them and so i hope that a lot of those things will will carry on but i also always hope very much that teaching people to cook will become a priority again and and I think it has to and I think you know the effects of the pandemic the the length of time that some people are going to take to recover from this the additional support needed in hospitals on all sorts of things the number of people they found that were probably diabetic before the pandemic but had gone undiagnosed and things I think all of that is going to put a strain on the health service. And one of the things that they will have to do is to look at how how we can reduce our dependency on it. And one of those things absolutely has to be what you eat and how you eat and teaching people to cook. I think that's right. And then and then the food industry also, I think, you know, has a continuing role to play in this. And yep. whilst I appreciate entirely health claims legislation uh, can sometimes uh, restrict what, what what we can say yeah. um 
you, you know, the stories that we can tell about the way food is produced, the connection with the producer, you know, potentially its place within uh, a dietary paradigm like the Mediterranean diet, which we know is healthy. You know, I, 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 I so encourage people I know in the food industry to really promote and celebrate the ways in which uh, their contribution their producers and, and and connect people back to that. I, I think, too, that part of what will help that is the younger people's desire to know where their money is being spent and whether it is making a difference to people and, and you know, partly looking at the sustainability of things and also just, you know, if if that product is made by this company, what are they doing with their money and things? I think all of that will will tip people's interest will tip the scales more to people having to tell you those stories about ingredients which is great because i think i think connecting people back to what they're eating is key definitely and but also you know i accept that there are people who are going to be left very disadvantaged by the pandemic they were people that were already disadvantaged and they are really going to struggle and so we have to look at how we support people to be able to make healthy choices and to be able to afford to do things. And I mean, the the rise in the number of people needing to use food banks, the way that food banks work, that they often can't um, cope with fresh produce and things, you know, will mean that people are getting more tinned stuff, more processed stuff than they might have had previously even. And so I think, you know, we have to look at the whole food system afresh and and I hope very much that this will be part of it. I am grateful for all that you have already done and and for the fact, too, that I know that you are being invited to speak to trainee doctors and other people and and pass that on to them as well. And I think that's that's also very important. I think everybody has to understand the importance of what you eat to to how you then feel, look, everything. So I think it's it. And maybe and maybe you're right. Maybe this is a time for a reset. I think this has been said. Maybe yep. you know maybe this is a real opportunity to talk to people about about cooking, about sustainability, about where food comes from, about the quality of food, and that doesn't necessarily mean expensive. No, I think I think showing people how to eat well on a budget is is a fundamental as well you know and and with job insecurity and the number of people that you know that have been made redundant are going to be made redundant and things we're undoubtedly in for a time that will be very difficult for a lot of people so i think showing people how to do things on a budget will will give them very different motivations for wanting to do it too and i think a lot of people realize that this is i mean it has been unprecedented is what people keep saying but it has been unprecedented it's been very different year and if we can turn that to our advantage at the end of it then I think that would be a very positive thing. Thank you very much for giving us your time I could spend hours talking to you I find it fascinating and so I hope that um, we'll get a chance to to chat again soon but also when is the book out so we can read more. So it's probably going to be out in the early summer. So Lovely. perhaps in the next okay. in the next couple of months. So look out for it on on on, uh, uh, on Amazon and elsewhere. And uh, and yes, hopefully it'll uh, it'll create a um, good. Some, 
new interest in, in, in how to really understand the nature of the world. Yeah, I, I, do, I do think people are, are, are more engaged now. So I really hope that that will make a difference. But thank you very much for taking time to talk to us about it too. Pleasure. Good. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you for listening to Let Me Introduce You, the Food Business Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you pick up your podcasts and make sure you don't miss an episode. Please leave a comment to let me know what you enjoyed or connect to me at Jane Milton Food on Instagram or at Food Networking on Twitter. And if you found this helpful, we'd love you to tell other food businesses about it too. See you next time.